friendship between Austria and France must be cemented by marriage. <laughs> My youngest daughter, Antoine, will be Queen of France. <laughs> it is a custom that the bride retain nothing belonging to a foreign court. Back to the show, everybody. Welcome back. We got a fun one today. An early morning recording, a rare morning <laughs> recording for us. We usually record these. A peek behind the veil. Yes, at uh, night. Well, this is a very fun episode that we just did. We've been waiting to do this one for a while, I think. Yeah, I think so. But um, everybody out there listening, my name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the movies, movies that made us gay. gay. Yay. Just us today. No guests. Yeah, no guests. We've had a lot of guests. We have a lot of returning guests coming up, a lot of new guests, but for yeah, right now, yeah. it's just us. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And um, hey, we're still going to make you laugh. This is a really fun episode, Talking Scott. about an episode that I've been waiting to do for a while. Yes, indeed. We oh, watched Marie Antoinette released October 20th, 2006, directed by Sofia Coppola. Our first Sofia Coppola joint on the podcast. Wow, that's that's interesting. I'm surprised you haven't done it. Well, we did the Kirsten Dunst vote last yes. year, and it came down to the Virgin Suicides and um, Interview with the Vampire. Sure. So we were very close to doing Virgin Suicides. Well, and also I feel like Sofia Coppola has really only directed like a handful of movies. But any one of her catalog, I feel like we could make work for, for this show. Sure. But... Um, Marie Antoinette is very interesting. Uh, the movie itself has an interesting history. 
aside from just like the subject matter. Yeah. But I think that at the time it was really highly anticipated by yes, it was. my circle. You and know, I feel also, like people that I hung out with were well. very interested in seeing it. Um, not just because it was Sofia Coppola and Kirsten Dunst, but it just, it just seemed like a cool movie. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think it kind of doesn't have the greatest reputation, but watching it again last night for our little refresher, it was so good. I think it ages pretty well. So I remember when this movie was announced, probably mm-hmm. late 2004 going into 2005 because it was filming in summer of 2005. And that would have been my first summer living outside of uh, – Kind of, I was in college. I was living by myself in this crappy basement studio apartment, and I remember following the production of this movie mm-hmm. because it was it had a lot of publicity going up to it because it was a big deal when they could uh, film at at Versailles. I don't mm-hmm. think that a major movie had ever been shot in Versailles. That Sofia Coppola had to get special permission from the French government to shoot there, mm-hmm. and there was just a lot of buzz about this movie and up until the can premiere i remember the can premiere was a big deal because it was booed right which is not kind of that big of a deal it happens a lot with american movies being shown at can but french audiences kind of had a bone to pick with it so it had a reputation even before the movie came out well i think also like you said a movie being booed at Cannes is not that unusual. And when it makes headlines here and people hear like, oh, my God, it was booed at this film festival. But it's like, yeah, they, deal. Kind, they kind of make uh, the audiences at Cannes are not they're, they're vocal, you know, and it's not like the entire audience got up and like rioted and tore the seats out of the theater. There was just a couple of people that, you know, didn't yeah. care for it. But I think it's and again, the the idea of. You know, uh, modern pop songs in this in this yeah. historical. All right, calm down. It's not Knight's Tale. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's not that. Like I feel like people saw that and thought it was going to be a kids' movie. They thought it was going to be something like like Knight's Tale. You know, something like a little bit more like Moulin Rouge. You know, but it, it wasn't that. It's not that when you watch it. No, and know? she does mix in uh, contemporary arrangements for the time. With the soundtrack, too. It's lousy with harpsichord. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of actual period uh, music that's in the movie, score, as well as music that they're listening to. So it's not like she's walking around Versailles with, like, headphones on. But I think that was something that, not so much the marketing, but um, maybe journalists and, mm-hmm. and in the media kind it was of easy to latch on to. ran with. Yeah, and you just expected to see her, you know, running down the corridors and in, in, in converse. But I know that there's like some kind of IMDB trivia or like legend that there's like some converse in the shoe. So montage, I've seen, I didn't see, I've it. seen this movie a lot and I've never seen that shot. Yeah. And I'm not really convinced that it's in the movie. No, I think it was like a photo shoot for, you know, Rolling Stone or something. And they were there because there's picture, you know, there's famous pictures of Kirsten Dunst and Jason Schwartzman, you know, looking at a, macbook Mm -hmm. in full costume yeah and it's like those pictures kind of made the rounds and i think it's something that maybe journalists or media or whoever anybody on imdb kind of took that idea and kind of got this mandala effect of like these anachronisms being actually in the movie which i don't believe there are so other than other than color palette 
you know, with costuming Mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, Sofia Coppola has, has stated that she based uh, Jamie Dornan's character's look on Adam Ant from those very early eighties. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Other than those uh, uh, so-called anachronisms, I don't think there's anything more, you know, heavier than that. So we should probably say that this movie is based on a biography of Marie Antoinette that I have read Mm -hmm. by Antoinette. Antonia Frazier, and Antonia Frazier's biography was kind of the first time that there was a more sympathetic view of Marie Antoinette, right? which was kind of a a big revisionist deal at the time that Sofia Coppola did structure the movie around. It's not a traditional biopic. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's all that much attention to historical detail. It's more about the mindset of this young queen uh, living on, living at right. at Versailles. I think they pulled certain quotes. Yes, from the book. There's certain certain phrases and conversations and things that are historical. Or mm-hmm. I mean, who knows how historical any of these any of these quotations are? These people were all murdered by <laughs> by their countrymen, um, and this was you know over 200 years ago. But you know, as far as the history books go, there are lines that are in in this movie that are directly from from history books. But <clears throat> the interesting thing is this is pulled from this biography that's this sympathetic take on Marie Antoinette. You know, when you grow up, you just kind of understand that this is this historical character and you see these paintings of her with, you know, this this hair and 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 this this face and all of that, but this idea of this book and this movie is to break down like this was a child that was she was a child of of 15, 16 when she came mm-hmm. to France and she was queen by 20. Mm-hmm. 19, mm-hmm. beheaded by 37. Yeah. You know, all of this. But So you think, okay, this is a uh, sympathetic take on the character. But when you watch the movie, and actually I think the idea is that, like, it's not really like, oh, poor her. Because when you watch it, she really doesn't have a grasp of what the hell is going on around her yeah. in her country. Mm-hmm. Like... She is a teenager, and that's the idea, is that she's just a girl that has been thrown into this, you know, this situation and is just taking advantage of it. What would you do, you know, if you had an entire court at your disposal and unlimited money and power? Yeah. How are you going to live your life? You're just going to be happy. You're just going to be hedonistic. You're a teenager. You're a kid. You don't know where you are, who these people are. So you're just like, fuck it. I'm just going to give up and, like, well, especially pastry. Living at a castle this fucking versailles is insane but it's so disconnected from the reality of how poor yes all of france was she's sheltered from the rest of Mm -hmm. her country i mean it's not even her country it's her husband's country but she's sheltered from from this country that she's ruling so she doesn't even see that the people are starving and that they think that she is the one that's you know spending this country into ruin and she just kind of has this attitude of like, I mean, take it for what it is, but she ha- doesn't have the let them eat cake attitude. She kind of – they address that in the movie very It's the very first shot of the movie of her in the bathtub mm-hmm. and she looks right at the camera. Yeah. So it's almost kind of going there with that preconceived notion of her right away. Because it's what you expect for mm-hmm. this character. You know it- – <sighs> The movie's fun. The music is fun. It's visually entertaining. It's so it's so cool to look at. I we were just commenting on, like we said, on the color palette of it's the like clothing. Opening up a box of Easter eggs. 
yeah, it's got it's very pastel all over the place. Um, it's got some fun characters in it. It's got some really great characters in it. So I don't know where Sofia Coppola gets these ideas for casting. Yeah, it's super interesting because <laughs> it's not on the nose. That's the thing is that yeah. you could make this type of movie and have it be a very straightforward biopic movie. Yeah. This was kind of at the time of the very height of prestige cinema of the aughts mm-hmm. right before the 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 economy like tanked. Mm-hmm. So kind of the sky was the limit for a movie like this. And yeah. there's some very interesting choices in this movie. And yeah, you're right, particularly with the cast. I mean, some of the co- some of the choices are uh on the nose. I mean, bringing in Jason Schwartzman. Sure. Um, I I have thoughts about Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, you have he's, a very complicated relationship with I mean, Jason Schwartzman. I mean, he's fine as far as his acting is concerned, but I just feel like his entire career was handed to him. Oh, yeah, nepotism. You know, it's like... It's nice to be a Coppola. You know, so it's it's like, I, I don't know how... And it's like, what has he done with it? Sure. You know, Scott Pilgrim, like, really, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he really hasn't done any serious acting or even directing. And it's like, I think people feel like he's a good actor, he's a fine actor, but... <clears throat> He's not really like blowing me away with anything, and it just really shows that, like, yeah, I feel like his his career was handed to him, and he's not really doing anything with it. Um, but in this role as the king, as Louis the uh, the Fourteenth, he works because he just plays this character just like she's so frustrated with him and you're just like fuck man he's just such an idiot like he just doesn't has no interest in ruling he has no interest in being married and even just just kind of wants to i think it's funny of when you get shots of him in this movie when he's wearing the clothes yeah and just the clothes are wearing him he just looks like a 15 year old dressing up yeah and i think the idea was that you know those shots when she first gets to versailles and like it's him and his brother and you know these characters and they're all just kind of there and these crazy elaborate costumes that are uniforms with weapons and all that on them that you know they're wearing them because they've been told to wear them and all that but i think they're they're playing this off very well that they're just like fussing with everything and Touching all the the swords and their yeah. weird coats and the hats and everything, they don't really understand how to how to be in these costumes that are they didn't earn. Mm-hmm. You know, they're yeah. just you were born into this, so put this on. We should probably say that the costume designer is Melania Canario, and she <laughs> sure. and she worked with Kubrick. She did Barry Lyndon. Okay, and even the introduction of Jason Schwartzman and his brother kind of reflects a similar staging in Barry Lyndon of a duel. So her name is Milena Canonero, and she is a, an Academy Award-winning costume designer. She's one of those uh, costume designers that shows up and wins her Academy Awards, and she's just wearing these costumes. And, and, like, oh and she's God, wearing like a it. Victor Victorious suit. I remember that yeah. when she won. Yeah. When the movie starts off, I mean, the first shot is is – Kirsten and like the black lipstick saying let me cake but it cuts to her being kind of transported from Austria. They're doing the handoff from yes. Austrian to French soil. Uh Judy Davis is introduced right off the bat as Love the, Judy Davis in this movie. She's great in this movie and she's kind of like the head like lady in charge uh head lady in waiting. She's in charge of of you know the Dauphine and all of her you know daily mm-hmm. goings on. They kind of get rid of her midway through the movie and you just kind of forget about her. Well, I mean, she eventually leaves Versailles to go live at, 
you know her little her little house yeah that he that he gives her mm-hmm. so i guess she's not needed there she probably tells her like fuck stay home the whole idea of the court and all of the the rituals and everything at versailles is very interesting and judy davis plays a role very well she's yes. just like this is how it's done I know you don't give a shit about it. We're French. Deal with it. Yeah, but this is what we're doing. They, you know, they change her out of her clothes. And this scene is really to illustrate how young she is because she like she cries when they take her little dog away. Mops. She has goodbyes with all of her besties that rode with her in the carriage. Yeah, and these are the early shots in the movie of these uh, these Sofia Coppola shot from outside of the car looking in the window. She loves a driving shot. Looking, looking wistfully out the window mm-hmm. as the trees are reflected in the glass. But it's a horse-drawn carriage. And it's like, hey, it still works. Yeah. It's the same idea. It's the same imagery. And it still gives you, evokes the same feeling of this is just a little... And this movie has a lot of scenes that are, you know, there's not a lot of dialogue in them. And it just shows them kind of sitting around and like whiling their time away and it really illustrates this like pre-industrial kind of yeah thing. like what did you do yeah. when you didn't have electricity there was or your so smartphone? Much time in the day that they would just and i guess we'll just play cards again well and these people were in the royal court of france so yeah. they didn't have to work for a living they didn't have to mm-hmm. earn their keep earn their food you didn't have that. to pay rent in your so all they had to do was sit around and stare out the window and fall mm-hmm. asleep on each other's shoulders and play cards and yeah. and all that. I love the idea that they'd really take and run with the, this idea of Marie Antoinette being like a chronic gambler. Marie Antoinette did have a gambling problem. <laughs> yep. <laughs> How much were your gambling losses last year? $300. $300. Hey, <laughs> Marge. You have a gambling problem. When she gets to Versailles and doesn't know anybody, and she's just like, "Okay, what the hell?" She's the outsider. Yeah, and she's all, and she's seen as like an Austrian spy. And everybody constantly, ref- well, not everybody, but they're you know, she's referred to as you know as the Austrian. Um, we have these two really great characters played by Molly Shannon and Moaning Myrtle. Yeah, and I love these two in this movie. They're really fun. Uh, I'm assuming they're historical. Characters. I, I would everybody take it in the that movie is one of them, like Molly Shannon, or maybe both of them. I think that they're siblings of the king. That's what I kind of got from it because I think that uh, their title is Auntie. Oh, okay, okay. Well, they're part of they're part of the French court, and um, they're just kind of there. The I mean, the thing that I don't get is just that, and it's it's part of history. It's a thing, but Versailles is so huge. And it's not just that the king lives there and all of his servants. It's that there's this idea of the court. Yeah. And these people that have stations in society that also live at Versailles. There are blocks of Versailles that are uh, residences. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they vary in, like, luxury depending on how uh, – depending on your rank in the court. And their relatives, their... And I take it that a, a lot of them did sort are. of the ritual duties of getting Marie Antoinette out of bed and dressing her. Well, the whole idea all of... of that. The whole idea of the court being able to view the king and the queen, and or in this case, uh, the princess, and just their daily rituals. It was, you, you know, it was kind of... Um, 
a big thing for you to be able to watch them eat breakfast. Yeah. To be able to get them out of bed and, and dress them, you know, put them to bed after, after their first night after on their wedding night. I mean, what a bunch of assholes. Yeah. No wonder all of the peasants came for all these one percenters. Um, yes. Molly Shannon's character was a daughter of Louis the 15th. Wait, no. Yeah. She was, she's a, she's family. But just so interesting because you just wouldn't have pegged someone like Molly Shannon being in a movie like this, (laughs) which is kind of brilliant. Yeah. And Shirley Shirley Henderson from... Moaning Myrtle. Moaning Myrtle from Chamber of Secrets and also Bridget Jones' Diary Mm -hmm. just has that delivery, Mm -hmm. that very childlike voice on a young woman. Yeah. uh, So when they're just sisters... Of the of the Dauphin, which means that they're never going to be, you know, rule the country. Yeah. They're princesses. But, you know, they know that their brother, who, I mean, I guess we are to understand that he's younger than them. Yeah. But he's their brother. So he's going to be king. And they're just the sisters. So they're just kind of sitting around just kind of talking shit on everybody. I was going to say, they just sit in Versailles and just talk shit at yeah. people in the courtyard all just day. Just carrying, carrying their dogs carrying these big french dogs around and and uh yeah just talking shit so on we have a clip of them talking about the asia argento character the madame duberry oh i love duberry she's she's i mean i love duberry she's an outsider she's and, an outsider and i really and i really oh uh, yeah <laughs> she's the, i identify with she's the, the vampy brunette to <laughs> kiki's blonde yeah and again that is perfect uh you know Coppola casting it's like it would have been lazy to put like Angie Jolie put Angie in the in that role but um yeah Molly Shannon and um and Moaning Myrtle have some really fun scenes together the berry is dreadful dreadful the way she dresses oh. she thinks she is a queen yes she does and those ridiculous pet monkeys where does she come from from every bed in Paris <laughs> you know we didn't think she would last long until she married the Compte and then he was conveniently shipped away somewhere. And she doesn't stay in the boudoir. Oh, no. She's political. Very. And extremely anti-choiseau. And I don't want to say this, but I don't think that she has greeted you with respect. That's just my opinion. Ambassador Mercy says I must pay her a visit. Well, if we invited you to tea at the last minute, you wouldn't be able to, would you? <laughs> and, you know, I feel like... um. A modern movie or maybe a movie that wasn't historical, this princess character, this young teenage girl who's the outsider, yeah. is there. And she's listening to these catty women talk about DuBerry. And, like, you know, if this was, like, The Princess Diaries or something, like, you know what I mean? Like, the character mm-hmm. would would break from that and say, you know what? I'm going to give her a chance and I'm going to talk to her. Sure. Why are you being so mean to her? But that's not who Marie Antoinette it's was. It's more kind of just how young people yeah. behave, too. Because she heard all this and was like, oh, really? Well, fuck her. Yeah. Fuck this bitch. I'm she not buys all of the rumors, she which may or may not be it. true. But what is true is that she only spoke once to DuBerry and mm-hmm. never spoke to her again. And and it was a statement, you know, yeah. to she had to speak to her because DuBerry couldn't speak first. She had to acknowledge of, her because she was the she was the princess. Yeah. And and members of the court couldn't speak directly to you until you spoke to them. And so 
she had to wait. And when she did finally say something to her, she in the movie it's played off. Asia Argento is very like she's so excited that she mm-hmm. finally spoke to her. But this line that she gives her, and again, this is one of those lines that that has historical accuracy. This is supposedly the only thing she ever spoke to Duberry. You know, and she says it and Kirsten Dunst delivers it so like I don't know, I think she delivers it super shadily, really. But um let's see. There are a lot of people I've recited in. Yes, there are. You know, it's just because mm-hmm. her handlers were like, You need to talk to her. You need to acknowledge her. This is this is the king's side piece. The king's getting mad and, at you. Yeah, and if you don't acknowledge her, he's gonna get really mad. You haven't fucked your husband yet. We don't have you're not pregnant. You're still the outsider, and we can still annul this shit. Yeah. And if you don't get knocked up real soon. So you got to do something to show, you know, throw him a bone. So she just is like, fine, I'll talk to her. And she's like, it's a lot of people here today, huh? I love the shady moment when they're passing each other and Kirsten was like, oh, I like your shoes. Yeah. And she refuses <laughs> to acknowledge her. Yeah. And you just kind of think like Marie Antoinette would have had to have done shady shit like that. Yeah, why that not? They would have done it in their way. Yeah. It's like when they were looking at shoes, um, and she's like, ugh, those are so DuBerry. They're so DuBerry. And you know that Marie Antoinette probably didn't say, oh, those are so DuBerry, but she would have said something very similar to it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of brings us to another another anachronistic thing that kind of people latched on to, critics of this movie latched on to, is that Kirsten Dunst is playing this role – as she would play any role. She's reading she's, the script. She's and not she's doing acting a, the script. A French or a British accent. Because usually for movies like this, you just do British. Yeah. That's usually just the accent of choice. But it's like, why? It reminds me <laughs> of um, Tom Hulse in Amadeus. Right. I think just did an American right. accent in that movie. Right. And it worked. And that's very like Miller's Foreman is not going to be mm-hmm. like, oh, I want you to do this American accent. It's like, uh, why would he do an English accent. Why would Kirsten do an English accent? You know, Molly Shannon's doing an American accent. And you're not doing this movie in French. Yeah. Molly Shannon is speaking in her natural American speaking voice next to Moaning Myrtle, who's doing it in her natural British speaking voice and their sisters. Yeah. And it works. And it works. And you don't care. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the characters in this movie have accents. Judy Davis is kind of giving us a little hoity toity, but Mm -hmm. she's not giving a crazy accent, you know? And yeah, to do it with a French accent, it's like, why? That is so, that's dumb. It's like, so putting on airs. And that's not something that, that Sophia probably was interested in doing with this. Mm -hmm. And it just plays out a little bit more. You get a little bit more of the character's youth with Kirsten because I mean, she, she was well into her 20s at the time, but still, she plays this youthful character very well. Her voice is so, mm-hmm. so you know. Especially with those early scenes with her that I forget mm-hmm. that Kirsten's not, like, 16 years old. No. And she does look like a child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she played the, she played the range very well of, mm-hmm. the, of the age range. Kind of for both of them, too. Her, both her and Jason. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He, he's playing it a little bit more like, uh, it's a little bit more act. Acting, it's a little bit more natural with her, but I think, I think she's Kirsten. She's you know she's a pro, we especially love, at this point in her career. Kirsten. She's a pro. She's been doing this since she's a kid. So she would have. I mean, just kind of when you look at Kirsten's career at this time, it was very mm-hmm. transitional. Yeah. And I feel bad because I think that there was a lot of 
expectation going up to a movie like this, especially, well, is she going to get her first Oscar nomination? Right. Like, this is a big deal. Right. Elizabethtown released the year before was kind of a bust. It Mm -hmm. didn't really work out. So there's a lot of expectation with her. Yeah. And I think it works. And I think that it's a performance a performance that ages really well, too. I think it does, too. Yeah. I feel like really watching it last night... I mean, I've seen this a handful of times, and watching it last night was the first time I've sat down and watched it start to finish in a couple of years, and um, it, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it it's really well-paced, mm-hmm. and I think the acting is great, and, and Kirsten is in every scene of this movie, almost yeah. every shot of this movie, and she's really doing doing her all to carry it and and i enjoy it um so like we mentioned a little bit earlier the marriage is in a little bit of peril because uh they aren't they ain't fucking the dauphin is not interested in um having sexy times with his wife so do you know the whole thing of i've read about it and i've read of what they uh, what they think it was but you know is this is this true did is you know i mean i think that it's Sort of factual. I mean, okay. it's on the it's on the wiki page, which I'm buying it. Is that Louis had he had phimosis? Phimosis. So his foreskin on his dick was like wrapped around the whole thing. So he had trouble <laughs> with. It erections. was a little too tight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he had a problem with his dick. Hey, I mean, phimosis is real and it can be painful. So mm-hmm. if that was if that was the case, it's probably why he wouldn't he wouldn't do it. You know, they had there's a scene where the doctor comes in and the doctor says he's fine, he's fit to, you know, to do it or whatever, but again, there are certain things that they kind of don't go fully into detail with as far as historical accuracy. I think the idea was just that they wanted to play it off like they're too young. I also think that there was just anxiety of the expectations of it. Well, yeah. Too. Yeah, so that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so that that's a very interesting uh, note. If that is true, and that's why that, you know, he didn't want, you know, he was afraid to to, to get it on. But, um, you know, his his brother, who I'm assuming is his younger brother because he's not the the next in line. So the younger brother... His wife, you know, has a baby first and it's mm-hmm. like this huge scandal and everyone at the court is like sneering and hissing at at Marie Antoinette as she's walking down the halls. And You feel bad for her in that scene. Yeah, you do feel really yeah. bad for her. I like how scene. Kirsten plays that moment. Yes. Yeah. And but it's that other thing with like the court is all there and it's like, who are these fucking people? Yeah. And they're just like bunch of freeloaders hissing at her. Yeah, exactly. Bunch of free- like they're fully paying your rent. Yeah, yeah. These people are living in in luxury. Although, and we were talking about this when we watched the movie. You know, it looks so luxurious and beautiful and all that, but the whole idea of actually being there historically is that it probably smelled awful. Probably smelled awful. <laughs> it was probably fucking freezing. Yeah, and there was reasons why everyone was wearing wigs and powdering their face because everyone just smelled. Yeah, uh, perfume is probably just uh, rampant, but it's just covering up the the smell of rotting food and rotting yeah, people. All of the waste <laughs> from that, yeah. from Versailles, of just yeah. all of the food that they threw out. There was probably just a giant rat problem. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's Versailles itself is a wonder to behold. Yeah. I don't know how. How did they build that? How in the? How did they mow the lawn. Yeah. 
How do they have? How do those fountains, fountains work? With fucking water gushing out of these fountains. I think it was a huge deal, actually. I think powering those fountains was like. Like a feat of of engineering, and I think they weren't on all the time. Yeah, because it was so hard to do. But um, yeah, so she's having these issues with him. He kind of keeps rejecting her, and every time he reject, you know, they do these things where they repetitively show, you know, Marie Antoinette waking up every day and the process of getting out of bed and how ridiculous it is. And they constantly show them her trying to engage with her husband every night and him rejecting her. And every time he does it, the next day she throws a party or she (laughs) hangs out with her friends and goes shopping and, you know, eats pastry and all of this fun stuff. She makes uh, really good Judy's right off the bat with Rose um, Byrne. Well, uh, before that, her first good Judy. Is um is played by Mary Nye, Bill Nye's daughter, but she's the Princess Lambal, mm-hmm. and she sits with her uh, at church. She's, she's every kind day. of the first person in the court that befriends her too, and she seems to be around her age. Yeah, she's high up in rank. She's easy to latch on to. Yeah, she's high up in rank, so she's there at everything, and she has access to to Marie Antoinette because of her rank. So. They, you know, they become friends and um, they become fast friends and, and really tight. And but yes, at, at one of the outings at the opera, which Marie Antoinette also loves because she just, you know, she, she likes seeing live performances. I mean, it would have like been going to the Troubadour or going to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like it would have been going to see a live band. Yeah. Yeah. She loves it. She's all about it. So one of the nights, you know, to see a show, they're sitting there and like in bursts this woman, this girl, and she's just like talking at the top of her mm-hmm. lungs, just like flapping her gums about like who knows what. And um, it's a really fun scene. And it's where we first get introduced to uh, the lovely Rose Byrne. The- Hello. This is the Duchess of Polignac. Hello. Your Majesty. We haven't seen you for a while. I know. I've been in St. Petersburg. Where I met Dimitri. Isn't he divine? Have you ever been with a Russian? No, I... He's so bossy. Look how fat the marquee's gone. Hope he doesn't break the chair. Is he still sleeping with Camille? Ugh. Anyway, I must be off. It was lovely to meet you. Versailles party girl. Uh, Her Wikipedia, uh, one of the descriptions says, she was considered one of the great beauties of pre-revolutionary society, but her extravagance and exclusivity earned her many enemies. Yeah. But definitely (laughs) that type of girl, when you go to a party or a bar, that she just seems super fun and you just want to be like, can we be best friends? (laughs) Can we just, like, hang out on the rag? And that's kind of what they're doing, too, with um, how they present these characters. And I think it's – it's they're kind of framing it with how how we would – how we would kind of interact if mm-hmm. we were placed in this situation, how you would feel about these people. And it's like they all are already kind of living this life. You know, they're fully, you know, she comes in and she's just this fully formed character having these adventures and talking about these people and yeah. oh, look at him and all that. And you still kind of feel like 
um, Kirsten is just kind of making her way, you know, and again, I feel like, another, you know, if this was not a historical movie, if this was just like a princess movie, she would kind of, uh, she would be a, a nicer character. Like, Kirsten's kind of she's making her way and she's making friends with these girls but she's just she just wants to party yeah <laughs> nothing wrong with that she so um the Duchess de Pontiac and Marie Antoinette do have a rumored history of having a relationship with each other yes that they do explore in um farewell my queen with which is Diana Kruger and the girl from the beach plays this woman so Diane Kruger plays Marie Antoinette yes. in that movie Okay, and, and I believe who's the girl from the beach? Virginie Ledoyen. Yes, she plays this character. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and the, what is the name of that movie? Farewell, My Queen, and that Farewell. is about a reader to Marie Antoinette because back in these days they would have servants read to them, mm-hmm. and the servant sort of got all the tea from Marie Antoinette, and this was like pretty late in their stay at Versailles when they're about to leave. Okay. Okay. Oh, it also has Lea Seydoux. Okay, interesting movie. I like it. Good movie. Track it down. Is it salacious? I don't care. I'm all about it. It's so interesting to think about, like, queer relationships at the, yeah. you know, at this time in history. It's like, hmm. is there a precedent for, like, homophobia and, like, you know, I think the people of France were just more interested in, like... Uh... I kept thinking about the lives of... Her gaze that would do her dresses and her and hair and her hair. <laughs> like, what was the experience of that? Like? Yeah, that you just sort of get in this cottage industry and there's some France, really fun scenes. And I guess it's okay if you're flamboyant because that's yeah. just sort of your place in society. Yeah, is dressing all of these rich women, but very fascinating though. Of there's, just what their private lives must have been. There are some really fun scenes. There's a lot of montages of you know shopping and clothing and and uh, pastry because I think the the legends of Marie Antoinette is that she was a gambler. She you know she. W- was a wastrel. She would spend money, you know, at the drop of a hat. And what she was spending her money on was clothing and shoes and, but also pastries. Like there's this yeah. thing that she just enjoyed French pastry. I don't think that you ever see Kirsten eat real food in this movie. It's all just candy <laughs> and cake. There's a really fun scene early on. Um, and I noticed it last night with, um, who's her kind of like handler, Steve Coogan, Steve Coogan, um, Steve Coogan's coming in and he's like telling her all this really, you know, very clever casting too. Uh, yeah. He's telling her all this stuff that she's been doing that she shouldn't be doing. Yeah. You shouldn't be pe- handing out things to people. You know, you can't Think grab, that- everybody needs to give things to you. She you was, can't she was like out. handing out, a kind of food. food at a hunting party. Yeah. And, um, was this the hunting party that was played by Phoenix? Oh yeah, I think so. Um, were they all playing guitars? Phoenix and a Sophia Coppola movie? I have no idea what you're talking about. What the hell you say? But um, as soon as he walks in and he's like, you shouldn't be doing this, she's there and there's a a plate of macarons and she picks up a plate of macarons and and like shoves it in his face. And he picks one up and he's holding it. And throughout the scene, he's talking to her. And, you know, kind of when they're done, he puts the macaron back down. On a, on a plate and she looks at it and she sees him put it down and kind of looks back at him like, why didn't you eat that? Yeah. <laughs> like, why did you just put that back Yeah, down? like a very, a very subtle moment. Yeah. 
<laughs> she just look, she just her eyes just travel with his hand to the plate and she's just like ah. <laughs> rude she, she doesn't care that he's saying like bitch you need to do this you need to do that your mother is worried your marriage is going to be annoyed. there are expectations yeah. bitch and she's just like eat my cookie it's really good it's flavored with like rose water who knows what any of that stuff <laughs> yeah. tasted like probably not very sweet um the pastries uh looked amazing they were made by someone famous and i don't know i'll have to look it up yes like just probably the shoes were custom pastry. made by manola blonick yes indeed um and that was something i think the shoes were slightly anachronistic as far as historical accuracy but i mean that's not something that we're there to just nitpick. And yeah. I don't think as viewers, we're just like, well, that's not the kind of shoe they wore. And you have to think about what is going to be flattering on film and your actors, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she's wearing, like, the really tall hairstyles. The hairstyles are actually called – the style of that, hair, of that hair is called poof. Mm-hmm. It's just – that's just something that we would say, like – to be funny, she's got this poof hair, but it's like it's actually called a poof. I love that moment at the birthday party when she's turning twenty and she's tipping her her head back mm-hmm. and her wig, and her hair gay like comes up and like he blows out her, the candles behind her, keeps her wig from catching on fire. It's yeah, like, bitch, I I did some like time on that hair. <laughs> yeah. Do not light it on fire yeah. or yourself. Yeah. The, yeah, those scenes are really fun. I We're love like the party scene. Placing the little pl- placing little birds in it. Mm-hmm. Is it too much? Is it too much? <laughs> there's one where there's one. I don't know if it's a dream sequence or what, where she's got a ship in her hair. Um, I think that it's right when they officially become king and queen. Yeah, and they're watching the little like uh, the fireworks firework display. display in the boats. She's got a fountain. She's got a ship in her hair, and Rose Byrne has a birdcage. In hers at the top. Yeah. Um, yeah, just really fun stuff like that. I love that. Uh, well, she does eventually. Oh, we have to talk. We love the party scenes. We have to talk about the masked ball. Yeah. The masquerade. Well, just briefly about the party scenes. Just kind of one of those great movie party moments that you're just like, mm-hmm. wow, I really want to go to that party. It looks <laughs> like so much fun. But you know what they did too? That was. Very, very Sofia Coppola, and it just makes you want to be a part of this. Is there's these really fun big party scenes where they're just they're gambling and there's like all this crazy stuff going on. But they, she also really focuses on these little quiet moments where they kind of all just break away. Yes, and it'll just be this little core group, mm-hmm. and they'll just be like, and they'll just go sit on the edge of this little river, or they'll just like and watch the sun. They're come watching up. the sun. Yeah, the sun come up. Or even during the parties when you know it wasn't the big party scene for her birthday, but there's another one where when they're out at the house and they're playing and they're playing party games yeah 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 love those underneath the tent or you know there's one where jason schwartzman is playing like caroms or whatever you know like bumper pool and just ignoring her and he's just playing bumper pool by himself and she's just playing cards with somebody and her sister-in-law is singing opera you know in the corner but it's just like this is just something that they did and you know in their evening i also like what the party scene does with the relationship of marie and louis that Mm -hmm. i think it would be easy to kind of make them hate each other yeah but i think that there's a moment at the party when he's saying that he's going to go to bed because he's going to get up to go hunting in the morning yeah. and she's just like well i'm gonna stay up and watch the sunrise and you do kind of see 
this affection between them. Yeah. That they do love each other. Yeah. She's like, stay up with us. You should watch yeah. it. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm cool. I'm going to go to bed. But I it's very much of just how you see couples behave yeah. with each other. Because he's not like, oh, why don't you come to bed with me? And she's not yeah. like, fine, go to bed. She's just like, okay, mm-hmm. well, like if you don't want to, but you should stay. And he's like, no, I'm going to go to bed. And she's it's like, a very nice moment. They're both kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. like you do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing and we're cool with it. Yeah. And it, you know, he could have played it off more like he doesn't even he doesn't even care about her, and she could have played it off like fine, go to bed. But yeah, you're right; they don't. They they don't resent each other at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, yeah, because they they do eventually have kids. And the scene too, where Rose Byrne says, "We should go to Paris. There's a masked ball. Yeah, Let's go to Paris." And she's like, "I can't. Like, we if we went, we'd have to take like the whole like it would be a whole thing." But security it is a mass ball all this stuff and she says it's a mass ball but, and also that's just a very fun moment for a movie yes too but that they're going they're going in disguise yeah yeah and they go in at nighttime you know mm-hmm. and all this stuff but again you would think that she would not tell jason schwartzman to bring him with go but he goes with her yeah they all go come out and have fun with everybody us. his brother the sister-in-law they're all there you know the sister-in-law that already has the kid, uh, Mary Nye, Rose Byrne, they all go. It's a big party. They go in the big carriage, and it's a mass ball. They're playing Susie and the Banshees at the mass ball, yeah. which I love. It's really fun. Hong and Kong I Garden. like how they do the sound design, that it actually yeah. sounds like it's coming from the room. Yes. Well, they started off with like a, you know an arrangement, mm-hmm. like a kind of um, uh, an old-timey arrangement, and then it cuts into the, the actual song. Um, so they do it really well, and it and it fits it fits the 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 scene and the tone of the of the of the scene and all that. And this is where she meets Jamie Dornan. I was gonna say I also love what Kirsten is wearing because it's very um, Green Hornet. <laughs> it, like she's almost dressed like a superhero. She's got her her mask is the most like uh, yeah her mask is something that would not have been seen at the time. You know, everybody's wearing kind of a little bit more like a Zorro mask kind yeah. of a situation or, you know, what you would expect from a masquerade ball kind of a thing. Not as not as elaborate as like Labyrinth, but, you know, and hers is made of it's lace, mm-hmm. but it's just covering her eyes. And it's very like punk rock. You know, it's it's giving it's giving me like Daryl Hannah and, and Blade Runner kind of. Vibes, yeah, sure. But it's not spray painted. It's it's lace, you know, and it fits the character. It fits the the movie it fits the night. That's something that you probably wouldn't have seen that the costume designer just thought would be cool. This cool punk. Yeah. Inspired look. Um but yeah, it is very superhero. First time I ever probably saw um, Jamie Dornan in a movie. Probably the first time anybody ever saw yeah. Jamie Dornan in a movie, really. Very handsome. Um, and he is Swiss, which we thought was interesting because Jamie Dornan does not read like he's from Switzerland. No. Yeah. Um, but hey, you know. I guess it works, though. She just needed a handsome guy to play this character. Because but, we have to fit these characters because it is historical, you know, piece. So we've got to, like, fit in who these people were, but yeah. Axel von Fersen, Swedish. Sure. He's from Sweden, but um, yeah, at any rate, this is where they first meet. And again, you know, they all go as this big group, but they're all just kind of running around doing their own thing. And, but she's the one that's running around like the mostest. Yeah. Like, and she definitely locks eyes on that guy and is like, I want to go talk to him. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they have their little moment where they meet um, because these two characters eventually do carry on an affair for, I think, for the rest of her life, Mm -hmm. actually. But it's funny when, you know, she finally meets up with everybody. They're just all kind of sitting on the stairs like... And they're like, it's 3 a.m., let's go home. It's very much like that scene from Clueless when they go out dancing at the club. (laughs) At the frat party. And and Ty's, like, (laughs) laying on the ground. Yeah, we need to leave. It's like, we we have to get in our carriage and... Make our hour and a half long trip. Yeah, back if to that, Versailles. maybe longer. Who the hell knows how long it would take to get? From- yeah, I can't even gauge time <laughs> of like how long it would have taken to travel from Paris to Versailles and a horse-drawn carriage. I think that in a car, that's probably like an hour. Yeah, but what do we know? Don't take our word for that guy. We're we're, we're not the. Uh, they come the back. Authority. They come back to Versailles to find out that the king is ill. Yes. And he dies very quickly. Real quick. And then they become king and queen. Yeah. I love that uh, that scene where, you know, they're just kind of like in their bedclothes and, and they find out it's happening and everybody just kind of bows to them. And Jason Schwartzman immediately starts praying. He says, like, you know, we're too young, we're to, too rule. young to rule. You get that sad shot of Asia Argento getting in her carriage. Yes. I have no idea where she's going. She Well, I mean, she's... She's the consort of the king. Probably not even that. I feel like a consort is more official. She's just kind of his mistress. And so with the king dead now, she's very public mistress. She doesn't have a place at court. And Versailles is very regimented. And the only reason she got in there was because the king said he kind of made a rule that she could be there. So without him, she's been banished from the court. And when she leaves in this cloak and she's wearing this bright purple cloak and like the wind is like getting caught up and it looks so cool yeah um man do you remember asia argento had a moment in like the early 2000s she got she was on like the cover of rolling stone yeah like she got so much press for triple x (laughs) triple x with vin diesel (laughs) yeah it had a moment i know i know but i mean she directed the hardest deceit philip of all and it's like is she kind of canceled Kind of. I mean, yeah, the whole Me Too nonsense mm-hmm. got a little scary with her towards the end, with the with the, with the young actor from The Heart Is Deceitful. Yeah, but I she's mean, very well used in this movie. She is. It's she clever is. casting, and yeah. like we mentioned before, it would have been very lazy to put Angie Angie Jolie mm-hmm. in this role. But yeah, uh, you know, one of the things is that you know they consider her wardrobe to be vulgar, and it's like. It's not like she's wearing like sexy clothes, but it's the colors that she's wearing. She's, she's wearing, wearing dark colors, reds, purples, and everybody's wearing rose and pink and blush and colors of a harlot. <laughs> yeah, I I like the pastel color palette of this movie. I like a mint, yeah, a mint green and a pink. Mint and pink, I love together. I mean, I feel like it's the pastel. I feel like it's the color palette on RuPaul's Drag Race. Probably about season every 13. other season. <laughs> yeah, but I, I really, I really like the. It's very eighties. This like mint and pink color combination. It's very like caboodles, mm-hmm. you know, or like a oh coral, sure, yeah, a coral, a coral and 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 mint or baby blue. Yeah, I love it. So you know they become king and queen of France. It's this big, you know, big hoop de doo. They finally get, you know, she finally gets pregnant, has a baby. Guess what? Girl, it's a girl. Womp womp. I don't. I don't have the prices right. You know, you lost. <laughs> but <laughs> I, she says something very sweet when she gives birth that a boy would have been a prince of France, mm-hmm. and you, my dear, are mine. Mm-hmm. 
I think I'm paraphrasing that, but yeah, it's, it's, something, it's something around those lines. It may not have been what was wanted mm-hmm. or desired, but I love you no less. And the baby's so cute. And it's a, another one of those things where they take the baby away for a wet nurse. Yeah. And she's she just get like... To feed her baby. Right? Yeah. And they're like, no, that's what the wet nurse is for, dummy. But this is where we get... Uh, Jason Schwartzman pres- presents her with this house on the grounds. Can you imagine just building your house for your spouse like that? Le petit triano. I mean... This cute on. little house... It's like a mansion. This cute little mansion. <laughs> it's huge. It has its own grounds. It's far enough away that she's just like, okay, you know what? And she goes off and lives her uh, Blue Lagoon fantasy. Oh, yeah. This is when it just turns into a like a Terrence Malick movie of her like walking around in grass and feeding <laughs> lambs. And, uh, I mean, most importantly, <laughs> she's... You both call me losers. And I don't see you out there walking children in nature. I never. You're not a loser. Walking children in nature. Most importantly, she is walking children in nature. But quite literally walking children in nature. (laughs) She just has this tiny little blonde baby. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's Terrence Malick. It's, It's the sun coming through the trees. A lot of lens flare. All that lens flare. But it works very beautifully because it gives, it's very evocative. It's kind of when you just think what is a classic Sofia Coppola shot. Yes. And it's stuff like this. I expect, you know, air to be playing in the soundtrack, but that's a different movie. Um, but yeah, she goes to live in this, you know, in this cottage out in the woods. And again, it's just pulling this character further and further away from reality, Mm -hmm. you know? And we were mentioning last night, what this movie does not do is kind of juxtapose the people of France. How dire the the economic situation of France just was for your everyday person. Yeah. And I was thinking, I said, why, you know, this would have been a great opportunity to have, you know, Tracy Ullman in some hovel, you know, (laughs) with like a wart on her nose, you as know, this like as this latrine like character yeah. that's screaming about about the royalty. Just like eating rat stew and just talking about like and where's the queen? Like, <laughs> I eat rat stew, but the, you know, missed opportunity, maybe. But um we didn't get that. And I feel like that was a big criticism at the time. Sure. That it didn't go into Stuff like that. Right. And I can see that Sofia Coppola's kind of idea is that that's you know, this is that's not the story that they're telling. It's just this young girl. But I think for a historical context, it kind of might have helped to show that the people of France were suffering. You know, mm-hmm. while all of this excess was happening uh, at the court, and you know, as this is happening, and, th- and they're sitting there and they're eating these luxurious meals, and all of these servants everywhere, and all of these people of the court, and I'm just sitting there thinking. Who in the hell is paying for this? Where yeah. is this money come coming from? Mm-hmm. It's just this like pile of gold underneath Versailles or something. And we do get, you know, the gals are just sitting around having a kiki at the new house, at the summer house. And Rose Byrne is reading the, like these pamphlets. And yeah. that's what they had. They didn't have newspapers. They had these pamphlets that people would make. Which was a real thing. Get distributed. And they would. that's how they would disperse the news that's how they would disseminate you know what's going on it was like an old-timey facebook update yeah but the thing is it's like how would you know when it was made how would you know how old it is how would you know how accurate it is you didn't you know and it's one of those things without 
newspapers, proper newspapers without, you know, television and all that, how would you, you wouldn't even know what they looked like. Yeah. Well, especially when you look at paintings of Marie Antoinette, yeah. her image varies so much yeah. with each artist. Yeah. That she can be young and beautiful. She can yeah. look like super matronly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, I guess it is a general consensus that she was beautiful, right? Yeah. But also, standards of beauty were very different. She was probably a lot more voluptuous. Through the ages. So who knows? Than Kirsten was. You know, um, what they thought was a beautiful woman we might, we might look at and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> I love the moment when they're talking about all of the rumors. Yes. That are circulating with her of the Let well, Them Eat Cake. Well, this is, yeah, when it yeah. finally gets to the point in her life when, when Let Them Eat Cake has been... This is what the public think that she's actually said. We get um, we get this conversation of them just sitting around having this kiki. I think I'm here as a house. Don't they ever get tired of these ridiculous stories? Oh, and they say you gave Thomas Jefferson a special tour of your gardens. <laughs> it's Jefferson admiring the royal bush. <laughs> That's awful. Can't you do something? I'm not going to acknowledge it. Maybe the wrong choice. Yeah. <laughs> Does history recall that that was the wrong choice? When- so I remember reading in the book that the Let Them Eat Cake was a rumor that was going around by a lot of princesses at the time. Right. So it's not I, just her. I think that the main yeah. source of it was like a Spanish princess. Yes. Yeah. And it's one of those things that history recalls it only to her. But yeah. it's been like, who even knows? Right. And... You know, in the scene right before we got that part when she reads it or how it's played out in the movie is we get that scene of her actually saying it with the black lip yeah. in a in a uh, in a bathtub with the big wig and everything. And it just cuts to her hair down, you know, just wearing like a white cotton like little slip dress or whatever. And she's just sitting there. And she goes, like, I would never say that. Yeah. You know, and the way that Kirsten plays it off, she's just like, oh, I think I'm tired of this. Like, God. But I- like. Kirsten's character and Brie Antoinette probably in reality would much rather be like out serving cake to the people than <laughs> than just saying it. Yeah, like she would thing. be like dividing up the cake. But that's the thing; she would take cake, and it's a very like it is a very kind of share from clueless kind of a situation. Like, oh, the Pismo Beach disaster. We don't need this red caviar. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to eat this. Yeah, we'll give this to the Pismo Beach disaster relief fund. You're not going to be using your old skiing equipment. Yeah. It comes from a good place, but she's just so out of touch that her notions of helping people um, doesn't really help anything. Like, here. The French can be fickle, and uh, Her Majesty would do well to be more attentive. Life is getting harder for the people of France. The bread shortage is grave. Well, there must be something the king can do to ease their sufferings. Tell the court jeweler to stop sending diamonds. You don't need any diamonds, do you? No. How pretty Madame Royale is. I'm pretty fine, please, sir. <laughs> Say thank you. <laughs> she is certainly a daughter of France. Some of these people lost everything. That includes sporting equipment. Yeah. 
<laughs> Something straight up Cher Hor- Horowitz would have said. <laughs> yeah, stop sending diamonds. It's like it's like too little, too late. These last scenes in the movie get a little, uh, a little too. Real. That's what I think is interesting about the tone of the movie, and I think that when you remember this movie. You sometimes forget about the last 20 minutes of this movie yeah. when the tone does a complete 180 and yeah. reality starts to catch up with them. Yes. And it just gets very, very real and sad. Yeah. I like the moment when they're hanging up the painting, like the family painting. Yeah, yeah. And then they come and they take it down and the child's gone. Yeah. The child yeah. in the crib is gone that she yeah. lost There's a new a baby. Child. There's a new baby in the painting that they hang up because we see her with two kids and they hang up a, a painting with a baby in a in a cradle and then they take that one down and put up a new one and it's an empty cradle. In a more traditional movie like this, you would have had your big dramatic moment of your big crane shot yeah. of yeah. Kirsten like screaming into the sky yeah. about her lost <laughs> child. But I think it's more effective when it's more subtly done like that. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, you're right. And and the thing is it's like this, like you said. It's a, it's not a beat for beat a biopic. You know, it does start off with her young, but it doesn't start off with her as like a baby and mm-hmm. and end with her like walking up to the guillotine. I also think you know? that her children. That's not quite accurate right, of the right. amount of children that she actually yes. had. And that's just something that would have just taken up time, mm-hmm. you know, at that stage they of the movie. They sort of had to condense so they, characters. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't see her like. Getting her getting her hair cut off and walking up to the to the chopping like block. that would be a whole other movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, a movie that I would probably want to yeah. see exactly yeah. because it is effective. Mm-hmm. We all we see is them getting into the carriage, getting taken back to Paris, and those and scenes ends. of the French outside of their castle, yes, are very effective and very scary. And the banging on the door. And all that. And not to, like, compare manga, manga. like, terrorists manga. <laughs> to anything that the French were sorry, going through sorry, at that man- time. Sorry, manga readers. <laughs> but it's just sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, we saw something very similar this week. But it's similar, but different. Yeah. But it just sort of evokes a situation mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, it got, it got a little real. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, you know, there was some scenes of her like bidding farewell to all of her courtiers and all that. But I mean, it just takes you to maybe it'll lead you to Wikipedia to read about it. But it is sad because I mean, the Mary Nye character at least lost her life. She got the chop. I don't know what happened to. They all got sent to the pork. I don't chop. know what happened to Rose Byrne to the pork chop loading dock. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I mean, this is a situation where, the, you know, this is the end of the monarchy in France. This is not going to turn into a history lesson here. We're talking about the movie. I think it, it is effective that it ended where it did. Yes. You know. Um, this is just a story of Marie Antoinette at Versailles. Yes. And once she leaves, it's done. She does grow up, especially after she has children and she mm-hmm. spends time, you know, out in the cottage but still, like we said, it's it, it does become something of too little, too late, and it does become something of she's she just does become even more displaced from not only her people but just like her life. She's just like, nope, I'm just going to go and drink goat's milk, and and she's given the and, options when shit starts to get heated mm-hmm. of we can get you out of here, but she chooses to stand by her husband. 
Yeah, that's another thing. It's like you've got kids. You know, she's the whole like my place is with my husband. My but place it's also, is with I mean, King. that's reflective of the real Marine Toinette. No, yeah, 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 and it's that's what that's what happened. But it's like maybe these were the wrong choices. Sure. <laughs> You know, but this is still this is the woman that decided to just you know live out you know her time uh, banging Jamie Dornan and you know eating chicken eggs and drinking goat's milk. I love her look of her like of how her uh, dress changes when she's living out in her sure. cottage. Yeah, when she has her pink hair, mm-hmm. her like Gwen Stefani. I'm getting adult braces face. Her tinted, her tinted pink hair. Yes. Uh, this is when she also decides that maybe she wants to be an actress. Sure. Hey, I think I want to be an actress. I mean, she's just going to kind of workshop some stuff. Yeah. She- and I also love that shot of the of the court of when they're seeing her performance that mm-hmm. you can just tell everyone is over it. Just like, oh, everyone okay. has sat through bullshit <laughs> like this before and they are just oh, and now not th- here for oh, it. Oh, and now this one wants to act? Okay. And she's and it's Kiki singing and she's giving us her full Mary Jane Watson like sure. I want to I wanted Manhattan to, Memories. I wanted to find the review for Manhattan Memories. Sure. Cuz that <laughs> review really would uh, would have fit in this uh in this instance here. Maybe, maybe we'll find it and put it in. The review. Oh. They hated it. They hated me. Well, they can't hate you. The young Miss Watson is a pretty girl. Easy on the eyes, but not on the ears. Her small voice didn't carry past the first row. That's ridiculous. I was right there. You were in the first row. <laughs> but hey, but Jason Schwartzman stands up and, and cheers as soon as she finishes her little song, her, her Manhattan Memories song. But, um, yeah, those last scenes where she's just like, I don't know, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an, she's an interesting woman, but I mean, I don't know when you're that separated, it's not like she could have, what could she have done to be more sure. of the people's princess? I mean, like, she would have had to have literally been the queen Yeah, to make political decisions like that. Yes. So... Some uh, one of the reviewers that we watched something last night, and they said that you know this character, she doesn't have any agency of her own. You know, she's just all these things are happening to her, but that's not because it's like poorly written. That's just what happened. Those were the circumstances, you know. Um, so she's just and Kirsten's playing it. You know, this yeah, this is a woman who is having ha- her life is happening around her, but she's doing what she can to make the best of it. Um, I mean, definitely on that theme of i think that that video that we watched quoted something from roger ebert where mm-hmm. he talked about this is sophia coppola's third movie centering on the loneliness of being female and surrounded by a world that knows to use you but not how to value and to understand you it shows coppola once again able to draw notes from actresses who are rarely required to sound them right which is a similar theme that you see with like lux from the Virgin Suicides and all the rest of the Lisbon Girls, Scarlet and Lost in Translation. Right. Um, yeah, very interesting. But, you know, I, I would have liked, you know, when, when the rioters are outside and she walks out into the balcony and she bows down to them and they kind of quiet down for a second right before she sings Don't Cry from Argentina. You wanted to see the mob led by... By Tracy Ullman. Yeah, I wanted to see Tracy Ullman to throw like a big head of lettuce at her. <laughs> throw this giant tomato at her. Yeah. I mean, the Mel Brooks version. I mean, there's still time. Cloris Leachman. <laughs> well, that was in History of the World. 
So go if you want if you really want to see that version play out, go watch History of the World. They 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 tackle the subject matter in, in one of the segments. And Cloris Leachman pretty much plays the character. That's I think that's why I thought of that, because I, I just had this like phantom memory in my head of of this happening, and it's because it actually did. <laughs> it actually did happen. But um yeah, I mean the events of the last couple of weeks have, have been crazy and scary, and they definitely reminded us of this. Somebody on my Facebook feed, one of our movies that made us gay, uh, guest uh, contributors, Dennis Griffin, actually mentioned, said, you know, I'm tired of these live musical performances. You know, Les Mis was on every channel last night. Yeah. And I was like, this production of Les Mis sucks. What the fuck is he talking about? I don't remember this. What channel was it on? How did I miss a live Les Mis? Why was it on every channel? Oh. And also not that we're comparing any of the domestic terrorists to the poor French people, because <laughs> I think those are very different those people, circumstances. Those people literally were, uh, yeah, there were. There was actually a flour shortage that when you read about it, like these like bread wars, it's crazy what was going on. Yeah. Like the the cost of bread was like through the roof because of this like, flour shortage. It's a whole thing. Like they literally could not eat. And when you think about with they're this, eating rats too. This luxury that Versailles yeah. was living, what were they taking away from the country? Yeah. By spending all of this money. Yes. And the people ultimately, you know, they had this idea that it was her spending them into ruin. That's why they hated her so much. And she just sort of represented everything that they were against. Mm-hmm. Um when it was kind of all the court of Versailles yeah. were kind of equally <laughs> to blame for all of this. Yeah. But hey, I'm not a historian. <laughs> I'm no doctor. Pick up a book. Pick up a book. Yeah, go to go to my friend Wikipedia. He's got he's got all the answers for you. Going to Marie Antoinette's Wikipedia is fascinating. There's <laughs> numerous deep dives it's that you can do. Uh, Pete and I are kind of obsessed with the affair of the necklace. Yes, which was brought up during her trial, where a uh, kind of a defrauding of the crown that had to do with this uh, con artist woman that was going to sell. Marie Antoinette a necklace. Right. Um, I'm even more obsessed with these women in the uh, 1800s that uh, claim that while they were on a tour of her home, the Petit Trianon, that they were somehow either they were transported back in time or that that they saw they're not saying that they saw ghosts because they're saying that they were people that they had form physical form and that they said that they saw Marie Antoinette just walking through the grounds and they saw these people and having a party sure in the middle of the ground we'll have to ask Ashley about it's this a I bet that she knows about it interesting little ghost story about these women and they're they they're calling it like a time slip like they were just in the middle of this time slip they're in the upside down of versailles Mm, not even that, that it was just like a little bit, a little echo of something that happened was just happening right in front of them and that they felt like really weird and sad and dark. And yeah, it's very so the ghost of Marie Antoinette haunts her house, right? Not even that, that they just this one moment that they just sure. were like, Hey, who's that woman over there? So interesting. And it was just like her, like walking children in nature and just like Jamie Dornan was just there and just like, they were all just kind of hanging out. They're just like, oh, shit. And then they just like looked around and then they were gone. But nobody's ever else said it. Yeah. So I don't know. Probably apocryphal. Has it been debunked? We'll look it up. 
But um, I mean, this movie is, it's very fun. It's, it's really well acted mm-hmm. by a lot of really interesting acting choices. We've, uh, great yet, soundtrack. We've yet to talk about Tom Hardy. Peak MySpace <laughs> ho Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah. He only has one scene. I almost wonder if he shot other stuff and they just cut everything and they just ended up keeping that one scene. Maybe, yeah. This mincing performance by Tom Hardy <laughs> where he's really queering it up. Yeah, he's in one of the party scenes and he's just like, hmm, what's going on over there? Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he is in it and those those DSLs. But um, yeah, and a lot of really cool, uh, really cool casting choices throughout. Talking about the soundtrack, I mean, when I was... 20 years old when mm-hmm. I saw this, it definitely got me into music by the New Order, yeah. Adam Ant, Susie yeah. and the Banshees. So it did sort of broaden my horizons of what I had been listening to. This trailer was oh my God. everything. So so we, we played the one at the top of the yeah. episode. That's the official trailer. I remember the, the teaser, teaser. The teaser was what New Order song was it set to? Uh, regret. But it was. Uh, yeah, it was set to another yeah. New Order song, yeah. and it was just so fucking cool. Yeah, it is. It's a yeah. It's a really, it's a really great, great trailer. Love it. Yeah, I can't remember the damn name of that song, but it's a really good one. We'll look it up anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it just it it was a teaser in the best way because it had mm-hmm. enough footage. It had it it evoked what the movie was going to feel like. Um. Yeah. Oh, it's age of age, age of consent. Age of consent. Consent. Yeah, yeah. It's age of consent. I had that on uh, heavy rotation on my um, my playlist at the time. I was taking classes at the Groundlings when I when I first saw this trailer, um, and I was talking to one of the girls in the class, and she was just like, "I can't wait." So I never talked about when I first saw this movie. So I was living alone. Uh, in Eastern Washington University in Cheney, and uh. I would have to go into Spokane to go to movies. And I had no friends at this time. <laughs> I would just go to movies by myself on the weekends. And I was at the evening show of Marie Antoinette opening day. Ooh. I was so goddamn excited was for this Kiki movie. Was there? I mean, it, it was in Spokane, Washington. <laughs> but I also remembered the reaction to the audience at the end that I can tell that people did not get it. Sure. That I remember seeing sort of, uh, teenagers at it that were really excited to see it because of all of the build up to it mm-hmm. that I could tell that some people just didn't really get it. Yeah. From when I exited the theater. But I immediately got it and loved it. How <laughs> you got it, of course. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Well, I mean they probably wanted to see her walking up to the chop. Yeah. <laughs> but uh Yeah, I mean Coppola's next movie was somewhere which is leans way heavier into the kind of like art artsy fartsy so somewhere was the first movie that we ever went to together i drug i I dragged your ass to somewhere i would have seen it you would have seen it sure i i had seen all of sophia's movies up until that point i i'm I'm an art house fag as much as anybody else do you like bling ring I like Bling Ring. I yeah. think that it's it's unique. It's not my favorite, but I like in it. her, uh, yeah. it is. It does her, stand out. In her I forget about it all the time that, mm-hmm. that she did yeah. it, but yeah, it's cute. But um, I like this more. Yeah. But yeah, this movie had a lot of buildup. It had a lot of buzz. If you were there, you remember. Um, I think it lived up to the hype. Same. I, I love that it got booed. 
<laughs> I love that it that I love that it was so good that when we watched it last night. Yeah. You know, um I love the uh the punk rock imagery on the poster. I love the, you know, the music choices and I love that people didn't think that this young female American director was going to be able to pull this off. Yeah. She probably got a lot of shit in France. And I know like, that um, she was supposed to follow Virgin Suicides with Marie Antoinette mm-hmm. and just circumstances being inexp- – even though she was a Coppola, this is a major period movie yeah, that yeah. she couldn't have had the resources to yeah. do right after a small breakout indie movie. And she had to win her Oscar for Lost Translation. Yeah. Which, I mean, good thing that that happened because Lost yeah. in Translation is a great movie. So and it just showed you know her ability. And we just watched – what the hell is that movie that we called that we just watched? Oh, sure. On the Rocks. I was like, what are you talking about? Yes, her her Apple movie, On the Rocks. Yeah, we just watched it. Um, and I feel like On the Rocks with uh, Rashida Jones and Bill Murray, I think that's going to be the cool pick with fans of Sofia Coppola that like you don't really think to pick On the Rocks as your favorite Sofia mm-hmm. Coppola movie. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But they're going to pull that just, yeah. to, just to surprise you. Yeah. But Bill Murray was really good in it. And she let him be funny. He was funny in Lost in Translation. He's funnier. Yeah. He's funnier in this. But um, I feel like she gets a lot of grief when pe- from people that she just makes movies about rich <laughs> white women, yeah. which is kind of the case. Yeah. But it's like, let's be honest. Like, do we really want to see Sofia Coppola direct a Marvel movie? <laughs> so it's like she knows her lane. And she I, stays I, in I it. I want to see Sofia Coppola direct a Marvel movie. <laughs> what could she direct? Maybe she'll maybe she'll direct. Um, the Pepper Potts movie. Sure. The Iron Lady. The the Pepper Potts uh, Mystery Hour. Yeah. Coming to Disney Plus. Yeah, I'll watch that. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I mean, we definitely recommend going out and, and watching Marie Antoinette if you haven't seen it. And if, if you have and haven't seen it in a while, I say rewatch it because it really holds up. Mm-hmm. It really holds up. Um, and definitely the type of things that us in the queer community can gravitate to yeah beautiful gowns gowns <laughs> beautiful gowns beautiful gowns <laughs> a banging soundtrack catty ass uh characters mm-hmm. talking shit in the corner <laughs> those are my friends I live. those are my friends party girls sexy boys yeah we live we live oh boy yeah definitely recommend it that was a lot of fun i'm glad that we finally got to this movie yeah, i've I been knew so we excited to do I knew it we would yeah, me too. Me too. We have a huge poster of Marie Antoinette in we our do. house. We do. And this is the newest <laughs> movie that we've ever covered on this podcast. From 2006? From 2006. Is it really? Ever? Saved was oh the God. kind of the the earliest. That's insane to are, me. No, are we, are we should say like the movie released. The most recent. The most yeah. recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2006. Wow. That's great. And this movie also feels like, does it feel old? Does it feel like it just came out like five years ago? It feels old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to me, it feels 2006 is a long. It definitely time ago. puts me in a mindset of I can remember the exact moment of mm-hmm. my life when I saw this movie, yeah. and I love when movies can transport you back in a memory of yeah. you can remember everything when you saw this movie, what was going on in your life. Yeah, I remember being at the Groundlings, and just yeah, and playing Age of Consent over and over and over again on probably an iPod. Not on my phone. Yeah, same. I remember downloading Ceremony phone. by New Order and listening to oh, it all yeah, the time. Ceremony, that's a great one. 
But um, yeah, wow. Oh, lordy, lordy. Great movie. Well, I think it's time to get some paperwork out of the way. Yeah. Because time to wrap it up. So we'd like to thank everybody for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys uh, so much uh, for listening to another episode. We've got some more great ones coming up in the coming weeks. We have some fun movies coming up. Yes, indeed. But we would love it if you would head over to our Patreon. Join. Support us on Patreon. Money, please. Um, go over and check us out. Patreon.com slash movies that made us gay. We're going to have some fun uh, commentaries. Maybe we'll do two in a row because we haven't done one in a We while. will be putting out yeah. the newsletter soon. We've been kind of slacking on it, but we will it definitely get Christmas it. Christmas and my birthday. Yeah. Give us a break. But we want to say hi to all of our patrons. Jimmy, Genevieve, Don, Josh, M. Aaron, Melinda and Jim, Jessica, John, Nick, Christine, Rufino, and Mitch. Thank you so much for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. Uh, also, we'd love it if you would rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Yes, indeed, and write us a good review. Head over to Apple Podcasts and write that review. Give I'd like us- to read some on the air. Yes, indeed. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Movies That Made Us Gay. And on Twitter at MTMUG Pod. Yes, indeed. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Lasagna. And I'm on Twitter at uh, Oscar Scott and Instagram at Scott, Scott Youngballer. And on Letterboxd, it's just Scott Youngbauer. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.